Hi and welcome to the Msingi Talks podcast, a podcast hosted by Msingi Trust. This podcast ventures deeper into issues of faith, advocacy, activism, and makes connections between these worlds. Psalms 89.14 states that justice and righteousness are the foundation of God's throne. And here we unpack how the church as the body of Christ and institution can faithfully embody justice and righteousness in both word and deed. Karibuni and let's do justice. everyone and welcome to another episode of Msingi Talks uh, podcast. This podcast recording is quite special because we have a live audience for the first time ever. So <laughs> thank you to everyone who showed up for this. Um, my name is Carol Nanga, founder of Msingi Trust, an organization that my, makes the connections between faith, justice, activism, and advocacy. Msingi Talks is a podcast that seeks to have as many diverse conversations on this. I am very honored today to have my brother and friend on the on the podcast, Mr. Jared, I think. Drum rolls, who's giving the drum rolls? <laughs> <laughs> G'day, g'day. How are you? Welcome. I am well. Thank you. So good to have you here. This is fun when um, our conversations that we have in private, we get to invite other friends in on as well. So thanks for setting this up. This is great. Yeah, cool. So we'll just dive into this and one I want to tell you how this conversation happened if you're not aware and if you're looking for something to do every Sunday morning from Nairobi and uh, across the time zones uh, on Sunday (laughs) (laughs) they're very diverse Um, every Sunday morning we have decolonizing Sunday school and every Wednesday early morning for me but uh, we have subversive seminary. So we had this conversation on holiness came up from decolonizing Sunday school. Um, and so, yeah, we thought it would be good to have to have this in-depth conversation because holiness is something that um, has put a lot of people, has pressured a lot of people and has also uh, bonded a lot of people instead of liberating people. And so here we are. And yeah, Jared, an intro okay. to you. Who oh, are you, intro Jared? to me. Yes. Uh, I'm Carol's mate. Uh, yeah. Maybe I'll start by acknowledging where I am. Nangala Kurich, Nungamor, Kankarak Nijabuja. What you heard was one of the world's most ancient languages of the Noongar people who have been uh, custodians of this land for at least 60,000, 70,000 years. This is some of the oldest continuous living cultures. And yet through this um, strange happenstance, kangaroos get referred to as Australian animals, despite the fact that Australia is um it is a construct. It's a, um, a dreamed up idea of Europeans that isn't much older than, uh, well, it's not even 300 yet in, in terms of it being an idea. So um, I want to acknowledge uh, those ancient cultures that um, uh, where I live as a guest um, and uh, I'll take that really seriously and um, try to take seriously what it means to follow Jesus on invaded lands. 
where people have come to steal, kill and destroy. And yet I'm called to life and life in its fullest. Um, you'll find that on a map as Perth, Australia. So that might locate me some geographically. Um, I've introduced myself relationally in terms of your mate. W what else would you like from me, Carol? What else would be helpful for your listeners? Um, there, there are two things we always uh, ask on this podcast about what's the one thing that gives you joy and also what's the mm. one thing that gives you sorrow? Hmm. What great questions. Um, and they're related. Uh, so joy, uh, birds, um, in particular, um, whether it be the Kulbadi, more uh, known in English as um, magpies, or the Wardong, um, known in English as uh, the black ravens or crows, um, the kaka, um, the kookaburra, which is a, a borrowed Aboriginal term from the east coast of Australia, um, uh, very far away, but on the same continent from where I am now. Um, Jitty jitties are some of my favourites, known as willy wagtails. Um, Jitty jitties are this beautiful little um, cheeky bird who gives big birds um, a hard time. So Jitty jitty will often go after the waradong, the crow, even though they're they're tiny and their little tail flits around. And um, uh, the the blue wren is one of my. I, I, I love birds; bring me great joy and. Um, I, I take quite seriously Jesus um, saying, um, consider um, the birds of the air. Uh, that's a, a daily practice for me that I share with um, uh, my family. And so my babies in particular, um, as much as I, I love my big boys, um, uh, little Noah and Goff and watching them share in the joy of uh, discovering um these birds and Noah's got little binoculars now, Carol, and he'll get them out and sometimes he'll put them on backwards yeah. and look at the birds really far away. Um, uh, I love that they're learning to pay attention and imitate the sounds and hear a call to, to something. Um, even if it's just eyebrows raised, even little Goff Oscar, um, who's only what, uh, not even four months old yet, he, he's starting to hear the birds um, and you see these little eyebrows go up. So um, they're things that bring me um, a lot of joy and get me caught up in worship. And um, in terms of things that uh, break my heart, was that the other, like sorrow? Um, yes, sorrow break your heart, yeah. Yeah, um, it's, it's deeply related to our joys. Uh, I actually think that the degree to which we feel our pain is um, uh, directly correspondent to the degree to which we can experience joy. Um, uh, the fact that uh, so much of humanity is estranged from the rest of creation, um, that we can't relate to one another's as siblings and instead um, right, relate to one another as uh, um, objects to dominate and conquer um, and how that expresses itself in, you know, any number of um, injustices that we experience at this time in history, including our unprecedented ecological crisis that affects all of us because we haven't contemplated the birds of the air and learned to, to live and trust um, as they do and uh, step into the 
um, the economics, not of uh, domination, and um, but instead the, the economics of trust and finding our part in um, relating to all things in ways that foster life instead of destroys it. Um, so it's, it's all bound up and how that affects my kids, I bring to prayer on a daily basis. Thank you. Thank you, Jared. And, um, I think for me, it's to hear that and to see how it's connected to the conversation we are having, Mm. um, a very difficult time, um, for many, because many of us have been chased out of places because we're not holy enough or uh, <laughs> oh, we've felt not human because we've, we're not holy. And so we, maybe a definition of terms could be good at this moment. Um, what, if you're told to define holiness, um linguistically and also script and i think we'll spend the whole next uh 30 to 45 minutes um defining it biblically how would you define holiness carol maybe before i define holiness can can i ask in in your context and in, in your experience if you were invited um to to share for five minutes in a service in Nairobi this Sunday and the sermon happened to be on holiness and you can choose any particular um, uh, Christian tradition that is uh, uh, down the street or um, uh, next suburb over in Nairobi and you were to hear teaching on holiness, before we define it, what do you think you're likely to hear? What's your experience of holiness um, as it exists in the kind of Christian consciousness in your context? For, for, I doubt people would call me to talk about holiness, but <laughs> 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 that's the first thing that came to mind. But then uh, <laughs> from, it's about do not drink, do not commit adultery, do not, uh, do not, it's a lot about what you should not do so that hmm. you can be gods. Um, it's a lot, but also it's about this unattainable thing because God is holy so that we should be holy. And that's one of the questions I would like for us to talk about later because um, holiness feels like something or is preached about something that we all need to be attaining towards, but also something that we will never attain because it's hmm. too far away. Uh, but also it would be it would be about what I do that hmm. makes me holy, yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I think that would be fairly common for many. The The passage that you called to mind, Leviticus 11.44, be holy for I am holy. Um, I think whatever we think of holiness will reveal whatever we think of God. 
our image of God and our image of holiness are deeply, deeply combined together. Like there's no, they're inseparable. Um, uh, and whatever we think we're called to be in the world is directly related to that as well. If um, we're called to be holy as God is holy, how you understand God as holy will reveal who you see God to be and how we are to be in the world, what it is for us to, to operate. So this, this question, um, uh, I think is, uh, far more, um, pertinent and pressing, um, and like on every page of the gospels and people give it credit for, but in ways that people, um, don't pay attention to. So while holiness is like a major theme of Jesus's life, what Jesus does with holiness. And that's why when we were discussing, what are we going to call this? Uh, I gave you a couple of um, options um, around subversive holiness, but were we going to call it the, the meddling mercy of Jesus? Or were yes. we going to talk yep. about the confrontational compassion mm-hmm. of Jesus? Um, because how Jesus thinks about holiness and what Jesus does with um, the strands of um, competing traditions throughout um, the Hebrew scriptures um, how holiness is talked about in Jesus's um, prayer book and song book, the Psalms uh, and how these themes throughout um, Torah and the prophets and the wisdom writings, there are different almost contradictory images of what holiness could be and is and what it's called. And um, Jesus takes a side. Jesus clearly goes um, this part of the tradition um, and the other part that I'm drawing on, I'm playing with, I'm subverting. So I think it's probably important um, to know what Jesus is playing with, what he's subverting, and what is he calling us to, and to understand them alongside the other options at the time. Because mm-hmm. in the Gospels, holiness is about a certain vision of the world, a certain hope where you think history is going, a, a certain how of how we're to be in the world, and, and then it's this business of, so with all that I am, what am I called to be? Mm. And so I think this is incredibly important. Most of the time, to answer your question directly, most of the time holiness um, is sometimes talked about uh, God's otherness mm. um, or um, uh, uniqueness. Um, Karl Barth, who... I have a lot of time for talked about God as being um, holy other. And this really upset one of um, my biggest influences, uh, one of the greatest uh, Jewish theologians of the 20th century. Um, his classic book prophets or the prophets um, Abraham, Joshua Heschel pushes back and has a whole section on um, how uh, God is, is not holy other, but instead um, Heschel talks about it as transcendent relatedness. And Heschel's problem with the holy other is um, that this s- strange idea that is pretty opaque about the, the numinous, the, um, uh, the spiritual is something completely separate, something that um, is hard to um, grab. He says th- this misses, um, well, to, to quote him directly, the primary object of the religious consciousness of the prophets was pathos rather than a Newman. So it's, it's not this 
vague sense of otherness, but in fact, the particular sense of what it is that um, Moses encounters the holiness of God in a burning bush and mm. yes, um, remove sandals because where he is is holy. But what comes with that is a call um, to be an agent of justice and liberation and deliverance for his people, because this is what God is in the business of doing mm. for the, the Jewish imagination. Holiness mm. is directly connected with how God is other and calls us to be other in the same way. But mm. this is an other, not of disconnection, but of intimate pathos or um, sharing in, in the pain and longing for transformation and this, this transforming power is God's holiness that we're called into. Jared, there's so much that you've said there that I, I wish we could like pick apart uh, in the sense of not pick apart because it's bad, but pick apart because there's so much depth in it. Uh, but I, I want to, for a second, um, stay with Moses because when I think of holiness, I also think of Moses a lot. Hmm. And when you uh, when you speak about the the burning bush, you know what uh, what has come to mind is that most of us um, most of us think of the burning bush, and um, because we never is we are, we've not seen. Moses wearing wearing back his sandals so we think he stayed there <laughs> <laughs> and so for many of us the burning bush experience is really not connected to the liberation of of the israelites from slavery but mm. the burning bush experience is really around seeing and experiencing this bush that burns but does not burn off mm -hmm. and so when uh when you call when you say that uh be holy for i am holy and when you say that our understanding of what god's holiness is is what will is what will lead us to understanding holiness in the world how we live in the world and all that I am tempted to, to ask, or I want to ask, why is it so, why is it easier for us to just, to not see or to not fully engage with the holiness of God that leads us to justice and righteousness? Yeah. Um, again, to go back to Heschel, uh, uh, I love that Masingi is the name of your podcast. And for, for those who um, uh, are maybe English speaking and elsewhere in the world, would you share with us just quickly so I can um, thread this loop and, and uh, bring this together? M Masingi, what does it mean? Singi means foundation, and it comes from Psalms 89, 14. Justice and righteousness is the foundation of your throne. And you've just been telling me there's also the same in Psalms 91, yeah? And 97, although it does occur a number of places. So in Psalms 97, it reads, cloud and thick darkness are round about 
the Holy One, um, uh, the, the Lord Almighty. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. And so here you have these two senses of often the first bit is what people associate with holiness. There, there is um, mysteriousness, it's, it's clouds, it's thick darkness. And suddenly we're in the story of Moses again, maybe no longer at the burning bush, uh, but we are uh, with Moses as he enters the cloud uh, where um, he, he cannot see, but God is present. And, and suddenly we're in the narrative of, of what it is to experience God and be humbled and know that um, uh, what we're experiencing is beyond us. And um, uh, th there's a, a right sense of um, th this is other than me. And yet um, made clear amongst the Jewish people and often what morality is, is um, when we make cheap photocopies of God's liberating work that God calls us into and turn it into rules to replicate in, instead of what it is to actually in, embody this healing righteousness that, that God is, that God calls us into. It, it's, it's that stuff that there is meaning beyond the mystery. There, there is a con concrete sense of what we're being called to. And for some people, it's, it's far more comfortable to allow uh, quote unquote spirituality or religion to sit in a place that's completely separate from actually the day to day of how the world works. And some of that is because we're quite comfortable. And Carol, this, none of this is new. This is exactly the context that Jesus finds himself in as well. And maybe setting up the, the different options that were on offer for Jewish people, how holiness um, works as a way of binding a community together um, so there's a very real sense that um, uh, the holiness is actually a glue, but how we understand holiness will determine what we're stuck together with, um, what actually binds our relating to one another. And so in a very clear sense, the, the Pharisees, the Herodians and the Sadducees, the Zealots and the Essenes, these four Jewish options at the time all have four different social visions um, uh, they clearly articulate a hope. They clearly articulate a how that everybody's called to the, the business of holiness. Um, and they have a vision and understanding of holiness, which contradicts each other that are clear politics and Jesus challenges all of them. Um, is it worth a little bit actually spelling out those four different? Yes, 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 please. Singi is a Swahili word meaning foundation. Our name and mandate comes from Psalms 89.14. We host engaging conversations on faith, social justice, and advocacy across all our social media platforms. We also offer training and consultancy services to help you navigate the world of social justice and faith. To engage with us, visit our website, www.msingitrust.org. Follow us on all our social media handles, at Trust, or email us on info at msingitrust.org. Well, Carol, let me give you the option. Where would you like to start? And if people are listening along and have pen and paper, you could almost draw four quadrants. So like, um, here's your little um, you know who, window. The, the guys who get the worst rap, let's start with the Pharisees. See, I find this fascinating. Um, one of the ways to misunderstand what Jesus is doing regarding holiness in the gospels is to miss that um, Jesus isn't setting up 
Uh, here's the Jewish understanding and here's my Christian understanding. Um, Jesus, this is an intra-Jewish discussion, not an anti-Jewish discussion. And so what some people do with the Pharisees, they miss that the Pharisees are actually um, uh, much better Christians than most Christians. Um, the, the, the Pharisees, these are people who clear, care deeply about justice. So let's start with the Pharisees' hope. Um, maybe we'll put Pharisees in the, the top left-hand corner of the diagram we're drawing in our head or on paper. Um, the Pharisees' hope is for the resurrection of the body. Um, the discussions with Jesus and with Paul um, in the book of Acts around the resurrection and how the, the Sadducees and um, the Pharisees argue over this come up repeatedly. Um, but their hope is for the resurrection of the body. That is a transfigured creation. That is their, their hope is not to go somewhere else, but that the Hebraic hope that there will be a great cosmic cleanup of all things and the world will be made right and justice and righteousness will reign instead of uh, injustice and immorality. This is also the, the Pharisees' hope. What's really interesting, and, and to state clearly, this is Jesus' hope and this is also the early Christians' hope. Although for the early Christians, they share the same hope, but it's underway in the strangest of ways. Um, through a, a crucified slave who has been resurrected from the dead. But the hope is the same, that the world will be made right, not that we will go elsewhere, not for an escapist um, uh, ejection from the reality, but God so loved the cosmos, John 3.16, that God gave of God's self in the one and only son. And to get that right, we suddenly have a lot more compassion for the Pharisees and actually understand where they're coming from, but we also need to understand their how. So have we got their hope down, Carol? Does that kind of explain yeah, the, so let's go to their, their how is tied up with um, their expectation for God to come and act and judge. And um, for the, the final resurrection, when the messianic age, the Messiah will come, the messianic age, and the world will be filled with the knowledge of the presence of the Lord as the world covers the seas. Um, it was going to come by for the Pharisees program and their politics of holiness is if we could be holy for just one day, just one day as a people, we are, we are persecuted under Rome. We're living under this incredible oppression. They understood this post-exile as um, God's punishment and God calling a people to actually live a different way. So they thought if we could get this right and if we could make a large-scale justice movement amongst our people where we actually embody what God wants to be and how history is going to turn out, we are going to be the hope that we have right here and now. All of that is incredibly admirable. And yet they saw certain people messing with the system. Some people were colluding with the Romans who God was going to set them free from, and they're making money off it. The heavy Roman taxation that is oppressing them, uh, causing people to lose their land, which was promised, um, ha having to um, help and make a way under a situation of colonization from this Roman power. And most obvious of those are tax collectors. So for the Pharisees, their vision and how of holiness is exclusion of the Pharisees in a hope that this shame will call them to repentance so that the Pharisees um, 
the Pharisees or the tax collectors? Excuse me, the tax collectors. <laughs> the, the tax collectors um, will um, turn from their wicked ways, um, no longer exploit their own people, and instead come and be this holy people so God can see that for one day God's people have been faithful and then the Messiah will come, um, the temple will be rebuilt, um, those who are exiled will return to land, the meek will inherit the land, and it'll happen because of their purity. So for them, it's a, it's a, um, it's a spirituality and it's a holiness. Their how of holiness is scapegoating purity. Here are the people who are the problem. It's those sex workers. And no one asks the question, okay, why are these women in that patriarchal society forced into a situation where trading in their bodies is the only agency they have in a society that has left them with nothing, with no social net? The the reality of these issues, tax collectors, why are they in these positions? This is what the Pharisees are actually addressing because their hope is that the world will be turned out right, not that we'll go somewhere else. In fact, some Christians would be better Christians if they become more like the Pharisees, not in terms of their scapegoating purity, which wants to you know, get rid of the tax collectors and the sex workers, but that they hope that the world will be transformed, not that they'll leave the world and go somewhere else. So the Pharisees themselves probably produced our Lord and Savior. The oh. Pharisees was the biggest um, Jewish um, movement and imagination. And what people often miss, Carol, is this, this vision of holiness um, actually held a community together. It was the glue. One of the biggest dangers that Jewish people or any people face under occupation um, and colonization is the loss of memory is the loss of ritual, is the loss of self. And the Pharisees are a movement which are preserving Jewishness under Roman economic and military oppression Mm. by having a holiness that scapes goats those who are messing with the program. So they Mm. care about the widow, they care about the orphan, but their, their hypocrisy is this scapegoating purity which becomes about how I appear in this community. So uh, I sometimes set up for people, um, uh, those who are familiar with the politics of 20th century America, um, the Pharisees share much more in common with um, Elijah Muhammad's um, nation of Islam, um, this very um, uh, North American expression of Islam, which most Muslims would say, actually, that's, that's heretical. But their, their focus on a, a dignity for black people and um, a scapegoating of um, clearly naming the oppression, naming who the enemy is, calling people to organize their own economics, buy from your own community, um, that you have dignity and that it's um, these people who are dealing in drugs and uh, selling their bodies, um, they're messing with actually um, our community, remembering who we are and getting free of the white supremacy of America in the 20th century. So early Malcolm X um, uh, is much more close in uh, purity imagination to the Pharisees. And I think it's important to say that so we can respect it and respect how this held a persecuted and oppressed people together 
and that this has got real dignity, but also named that Jesus is calling us to something other than this, which is equally as challenging to the Roman empire, but it's a, it's a um, revolution in how we understand revolutionary politics or for the Jewish people, this whole central question of holiness. So there's the Pharisees. Does that help? Yeah, it helps that. And you talked about um, occupation and I immediately went to the current Palestinian occupation Mm -hmm. and maybe we will, and what does that of people who are occupied becoming uh, occupiers as well? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. What is it not to be caught in the imitation of that which we're up against? Yeah. And, and holiness is part of, um, to understand that this is the wrestle um, of the Pharisees and the Zealots and the Essenes as well. Um, they realised that um, Solomon was the same old stuff of other nations, just yeah. with Bible verses slapped on the bumper sticker of this yeah. empire agenda. Um, they realised that um, so much of the unfaithfulness and the unholiness of what they were called to be um, uh, the, the people who wrestle with God, who were to be um, a, as numerous as the stars and sands, um, uh, that they were to be blessed to be a blessing and show the world um, what it truly is to be human, uh, what it is to relate to the rest of uh, creation and what it is to, to live in intimate knowledge of the creator. Um, that's what uh, the Hebraic people were called to be. And um, they understood the the exile that they were sent into and the fact that the Romans came and um, occupied and oppressed them. And the question is, well, how do we get out from underneath this oppression? And um, these are different religious options that are on hand. Um, And maybe as we've kind of set up that first quadrant, the Pharisees, maybe if we move on to another, it will become clearer um, the different okay. visions of holiness and, um, again, an alternative that Jesus has in mind. So your choice, would you like to go to the Herodians and the Sadducees, which is really one group, the Zealots yeah. or the Essenes? Um, you you choose. You're, you have the flow of thoughts. So you, where would you like to go? Let's maybe go to one of the groups that overlap considerably with the Pharisees, um, so much so that some scholars... Uh, don't identify them as being different, um, but being uh, a more uh, militant um, uh, part of the Venn diagram that is the Pharisee option. Um, That's the zealots. And to remember that um, zealots, um, uh, Judas Iscariot. For me, a zealot is the one that cuts people's ears off. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, Peter is named, and Carol, you're spot on. What people kind of forget is jesus was born in the shadow um like within a half an hour walk from where jesus is born of um uh, mass roman crucifixions probably four years before he was born and the um uh, the maccabean revolution where jewish people took up arms and were able to fight off an invading colonizing power is so prevalent in people's imaginations that they're naming their kids after these heroes, um, uh, uh, like Simon Peter. Um, uh, um, uh, what's a, 
another example. Um, well, like James, uh, these are names of, it's like calling your kid Che Guevara, right? It, it's, it's like calling your kid um, Nelson Mandela. Um, it's you're naming your kid for a, a revolutionary figure because your hope is that they will remember their identity and fight against this oppressive force. And the zealots, um, their vision, if, if how the Pharisees, um, if their hope was for um, uh, God to come and make all things right, this great cosmic cleanup where injustice would no longer reign and the temple would be rebuilt and um, those who have been estranged would come back in and um, uh, a Jewish nation would be established that would bless the world. The zealots share in that, only they carry um, literal weapons their approach is say your prayers and um and you know, kill some people yeah pack heat and so one of their one of their um strategies was what today we'd talk about as guerrilla warfare or even terrorism where in the marketplace when they saw um their own people jewish people who were compromising with the roman forces they would take their um sakari their their small knife and in a crowded marketplace, they would stab them. This person would drop down dead. The thud of the body would cause somebody to look and scream. Suddenly people are aware that we will not put up with people who are compromising with those who go along with the Roman occupation. So to draw parallels from my own family tradition, um, Carol, uh, for when I went to the drinking, drinking hole um, that my granddad hung out in Belfast, thinking it was going to be a pub and actually found, you know, um, a foot and a half thick um, steel door that was to um, protect people against bombs and that there's no windows and the security cameras and this um, metal mesh, which surrounds the whole place. And the introduction from family being, um, this is where um, kneecapping happened. And I'm trying to think, um, uh, kneecapping. Okay, so um, the British, we kneecapped them here. How, how does that work? How does that? And they're like, no, 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 we didn't kneecap the British. I'm like, so you, people who like colluded with the British, um, those who were um, unionists, they were knee. And they're like, no, 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 no. I was like, so who? Hang on a second. The Black and Decker drill went through somebody's knee right here who? who 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 and it's that's what we did to those of us who were collaborating with the british the fact that my tour of um where my family is from uh, took me to streets and this is where your cousin was killed by british police this is where um uh, literally this is the um pub that your great granda was blown up in um, uh, this kind of stuff it forms people around an identity and the pressure that people feel to give up who they are uh, and become part of this empire you're by, being invited into um, all the things that will go along with that all you have to do is lose yourself and lose all hope of um, your language your customs your lands your spirituality and the zealots were the armed wing of the Pharisees who were like, no, Judas Iscariot literally means Judas 
the zealot. Jesus within his 12 had both tax collectors or former mm. tax collectors and zealots. Um, it's, it's like having um, uh, IRA uh, members as part of the 12 apostles to bring it back to the context of Northern Ireland that my family is from and people who um, previously had been making a buck by exploiting um, uh, the people who are indigenous to the land by actually um, overcharging them for those who have come and taken the land. So yeah, the, and, the and hope... For the Kenyan, and for the Kenyan context, it's like what you're saying, it's like having the Kenyan land and freedom movement people mm -hmm. um, as disciples with who we call the home guards who, mm -hmm. who became, who are the African... Um, the African representation of the British here, yeah, the, the, the black people, the um, Kenyan people who are helping the British uh, uh, rule and uh, subdue Kenyans. Um, and the Land and Freedom Army are our heroes that um, fought against uh, British occupation uh, and the taking of land, all who are they are known in the world as Mau Mau, but they mm. they went out as the land and freedom movement. Yeah. So and Carol, when we can draw parallels, yeah, whether it yeah. be um, between um, Kenya, these lands we now call Australia, um, Ireland, uh, and go, this is the context that Jesus is in, <clears throat> and Jesus isn't neutral. Jesus takes a side. Jesus has been formed in this culture, and. You can, if you can imagine everybody you've just named in the Kenyan context and what are the churches they go to, how do they pray? And what we're spelling out is that the hope of the zealots is the same hope that the Pharisees have, um, that the Romans are kicked out, that God will reign, that justice and righteousness will be established. And their how of their holiness wasn't merely the scapegoating purity of let's take it out on the tax collectors, the sex workers, and those deemed sinners. And maybe it's worth just like pausing for a sec, Carol, and um, noting that um, some of us don't get the like genius and brilliance of what um, the Apostle Paul is doing in calling, uh, in naming all of us as sinners, because this is a, a immense, clever play um, uh, and instead for us, <clears throat> excuse me, instead for us, I'm just going to have a drink, Carol. I'm, uh, I'm getting emotional. Um, instead for us, sinners becomes like some vague term, uh, an abstract that is a state that all of humanity shares in. That's not what it is in the Gospels. The accusation towards Jesus constantly is you eat with sinners. You're a drunkard. You mm. party with the wrong people. Sinners yeah. were a group of social outcasts whom the glue of us people who were being oppressed, um, that glue was attacked by these outcasts. And maybe it was because of the moral code and maybe it was because of the purity code. Maybe it was because there were um, lepers or um, women with a problem of bleeding. And so the issue is around the purity code and the temple and, um, or maybe it's a moral code and these people are adulterers um, or uh, outsiders who threaten um, our people, uh, whether it be like 
uh, Roman centurions or whether it be Samaritan women or um, uh, or is it people who have sided up to the oppressive powers like the tax collectors and are exploiting us? Sinners is a very specific group. And what Paul does is he goes, we are all that group. If you want to identify, it's, it's either none of us or all of us. So when Paul goes, all have sinned, he's like, hey, actually, if, if you're still working out of the purity paradigm that uses shame to create a social hierarchy and thinking that this will maintain our identity, you're actually eating at the glue that holds God's dream for the world and God's calling a people together. And Jesus is constantly accused of associating with these people, but where Jesus is coming from, and we always have the biggest trouble um, with those whom we're closest to, right? Like the uh, Jesus is most probably formed, most um, historical, um, uh, like Jesus scholars think, in the Pharisees. And whether we're talking uh, uh, James Dunn or N.T. Wright or Dominic Crossan or Marcus Borg, um, all those scholars I just named, this is how they talk about um, Jesus has grown up amongst Pharisees and zealots. And he is doing something that is challenging his own people so that they don't mirror and become what they hate, but in fact, mirror the holiness of God, which is not the scapegoating purity of the Pharisees and that violence against um, certain people in the community, but nor is it the counter violence of the zealots who use the same means as the Roman empire Mm. for different ends. And so already with those two options spelt out, we're starting to see Jesus is doing something different in the Gospels. I find it hard, like turn any page in the Gospel of Mark and Jesus is subverting holiness. Mm. I mean, we'll get there. Let's let's spell out the Herodians and the Sadducees and the Essenes and then we'll actually open it up. But where we're going, spoilers ahead, our Lord in um, what Matthew 5.48 says, be perfect as uh, your heavenly father is perfect. And we pull that into a holiness code, which is still about establishing dominance and hierarchy um, uh, to build an identity um, through the controlling power of shame. Yes. Despite the fact, despite the fact, Jesus has been teaching about love in that whole passage and what it is to love your enemies, what it is to actually love in ways that um, establishes a dignity and an identity found in that dignity that is not oppositional, but invites others in and invites them out of their dominance over others and invites you out of being dominated by others to relate to one another as equals, to share in this egalitarian vision um, that Jesus's whole ministry is drenched in, which he refers to as the kingdom of God, uh, the reign of God or the reigning of God, this action of God, which is the Jewish hope that they thought would like only come to be at the final judgment when um, resurrection of the dead would happen. And the Christian crazy claim, Carol, is that the Hebraic hope is underway in the strangest of ways. The resurrection has started in the middle of history, not at the end. And so to quote um, William Gibson, uh, the science fiction writer, he, he talks about the future is here. It's just not widely distributed yet. That's mm. what the church is called to be. God's mm. future of compassion, of this perfection that Jesus was talking about, um, 
seen, touched, experienced, like a new world is underway, not a, a set of beliefs or a creed to sign up to, but the um, incredible declaration that God's dream for the world has become a waking reality in Jesus rising from the grave. And what we see in Jesus and his holiness is what we're being called into. We're in the business of distributing a different future for the church. Well, that was the end of part one of Carol's conversation with Jared and part two will be available next week. If you've been inspired, challenged and or enjoyed this conversation and would like to contribute to this and catch up with more of such, remember to follow us on social media at Trust. share this podcast with your friends and family and also consider making a donation to support the production of this podcast. Donations can be made through PayPal msingikenya at gmail.com patreon at msingikenya or through mpesa plus 254-792-176-030 kwaherini and thank you for joining us